we do this is Will, William. Would you come here, my friend? Very quickly. Um, I came in this morning. William and I are good friends. And how long have we been good friends for? Six years. Time flies. Coming up here, William. We're good friends. We like, what do we like? We like snooker. What else? Yeah. Wrestle. wrestle. Well, we, we don't personally wrestle. Yeah. We're not that close. Yeah. It's true, yeah? yeah? But I came in this morning, and William said he really would like prayer. Yeah. Um, and I was going to leave it to later, but yeah. it was during the, the song where it says, Jesus Christ can break yeah. every chain. Yeah. And William, you're up in court. When are you yeah. up in court? Next week. And how many times have you been to prison, William? Nine. William's been in prison nine times. Yeah. Nine times. Yeah. Would somebody come and pray with, for... Come Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God that can break every chain. God, we thank you that your heart is one of overwhelming, passionate love for William. Father, we thank you that where can he hide from your presence? Nowhere. If he goes to the depths, you are there. If he goes to the highest of heights, you are there. Father, whether, wherever he feels, whether he feels like he's in the depths, whatever the future holds, we thank you that if he trusts in you, that you will never forsake him. God, we thank you. We thank you that you've made him in your image. We long to see that image restored more and more in this man. Father, we pray. We pray for righteousness. We pray for justice. We pray for mercy. Father, we pray for your, your guiding hand to be upon him, Father, as he goes to court, Lord. We pray for your will to be done. And our heart, Lord, is as this man would find freedom, that he would find freedom for whatever it is that touch, that, that constrains his life, that you would lead him into a place of freedom and that you would do a work in him by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to see him on the sofa. Don't want to see him in prison. I want to see him in a community, not in prison. And it's not that you like uh, prison food, is it, William, while you keep going back? There's something holding him back. And this is why I think we need Christ to do something and break a chain. PowerPoint, great. Um, today we're looking at growing and being together. Growing and being together. Love one another. Growing and being together as a community. Um, Eric was a tax officer in Helsinki in Finland. And he was a very popular fella. He worked in an office of about 30 people, a very busy office, 30 people in that office. And uh, one day, a friend called around to see Eric for lunch. So they telephoned up, and they said, where's Eric? And uh, someone went to see him. And they found out that Eric was dead. It's a true story. Eric was dead. Have a guess how long you've been dead for. How many years? Ten, ten years. <laughs> Eric had been dead for ten years. <laughs> He'd been dead for two whole days. In an office, 
30 people, male, people passing the office. How are you doing, Eric? Nice to see you, Eric. His boss telling everybody, look, uh, this is an exemplary person. He's in first, last to leave. Look at him. He's not lifted his head off that desk. He'd been dead for two full days and nobody had noticed. When I think of our contemporary culture, I see people who are socially decomposing and breaking down in plain sight. And nobody seems to be doing anything about it. 66% of people in our country have nobody to talk to about the big issues of their lives. 66%. We are relationally decomposing in plain sight. What do we think are the reasons for it? We've got technology. What else? Ignorance. Lack of God in the life. Selfishness. Me first. What's that? Pride. Pride, is it? Not saying I'm, I'm deeply lonely here. Could we have a little chat? This is what society says. I'm going to put up a slide. Relationships, many people find difficult because lots of us are drained, emotionally tired, end of our resources. We're fatigued. We don't seem to have much energy. So the modern research is saying we've now entered. Does anybody know what the blue symbol is? Pardon? In, we're entering an infinity world. And what they mean is that the weight of expectation placed upon people's personalities is without end. People feel there's always something that they have to do. There's always something that they have to attend to. So they feel under a weight, tired, exhausted, and therefore don't have much time to invest in being together. There's no stop. I remember working in a packing factory. Has anybody worked in a packing factory? Any working class people there up north? Or middle class, okay. Well, a packing factory is where, it's a very menial, you just pack things. And it was a really hard shift, eight hours, and uh, we had a 20-minute break, that was it. Really hard work. But at the end of that shift, we certainly stopped. And I'd trudge down the little Welsh Valley, and I'd go into a socialist club. 10 o'clock at night, and I would meet up with almost everybody else in the community. And we would talk, and we would chat. If you were lucky, you'd have a little tankard with your name on it behind the bar, yeah? Taffy. It wasn't, we don't call ourselves Taff in Wales, by the way. <laughs> you'd have your tankard behind the bar. Everybody knew you. And you wanted to be a place where everybody knew your name. Not just like, how are you doing, Eric? Dead on the desk. Not in any way, shape, or form in contact with somebody. And you, feel, you felt known. We talk about everything. Who should play prop in rugby? Politics. The whole shooting match. And you went and you stopped and the shift was gone. And you could properly meet and interact and socially re relate to people. And it filled your tanks. These days, the infinite world of feeling there's always something I have to do. There's always something I need to do. 
is exacerbated by the next image with the phone and the Gmail. What that means is we're constantly reminded of just how much things we have to do, or just how many things we have to do. We're constantly on. The inbox is constantly going, I'm on a WhatsApp group, and I don't, I don't look at it, do I, Heather? But I just show her how quickly the message is. So I, I blanked it, and I think it was about two weeks, there was 1,900 messages. It was insane. People are constantly being reminded, you've got lots of things to do, there's lots of expectations on you, and people are getting tired and fatigued. The next thing then is the calendar. We then try and manage everything with our calendars. Now guys, I'm gonna talk about this later, my calendar is my friend. It really is. But if you feel there's infinite burdens upon you, infinite things that you have to do, sometimes the calendar, you're popping everything in to organize your life, but you're not putting in the most important things. You're not putting in the most important things. We're putting in little trivial things we constantly have to do and they build up so we feel we live in an infinite world and we feel tired. Because the reality is now, we work 10 hours less every week than people did in the 1950s. We're not working harder. We just feel tired and knackered and emotionally drained. That's what we feel, but we're not working harder. And the last one is, can anybody guess what that is? So when I walked down my little valley in the Welsh, yeah, down to the Socialist Club, where we used to burn the Tories, yeah? <laughs> Keep the fire going, chuck another Tory on. There we are. Ooh, he's, he's going up well, this one. Chuck another one on, it's a party. Yeah? Down to the Socialist Club. Yeah? What do you think I met up with? I met up with people. We were on WhatsApp, showing pictures of Tories burning. Come and join the party. We didn't meet with computers. We met with people. And we looked them in the eyeballs. And we had a proper chat. It was a safe place where we knew each other, we understood each other, and somehow, working extra hours in a packing factory, it didn't seem too much of a big deal. Because you were part of a community and a family. Next slide. It's hard to build relationships. Matt talked about this. It's hard to build relationships now, isn't it? Here. You are all like little sardines in your seats. Are we building relationship? <laughs> we're not. Now, we're doing something very important, I trust. We're getting around the word, but it's not necessarily a great place to build relationships. And it's a shame Dave Bronze isn't here this morning, because this slide was for him. Because you know when I, I, I said to people... Um, Turn to one another, look each other in eyes, and tell them I was born to love you. Hands up who felt uncomfortable looking in a stranger's eyes they've never met before, who they know hardly anything about, and saying, I was born to love you. It's not nice, is it? That's why I did it, yeah? It's a weird thing, isn't it? I could see Dave Bronze, he was prickling. I was going to ask him to come up so I could give him a hug to make him feel even worse. I was going to take my shirt off as well. <laughs> it feels awkward. And this is Andy Millman from Extras. He went on a date with that person on the left, and where did they went to a church meeting where they all sat around in a circle and were expected to talk about their innermost, deepest secrets with complete and utter total strangers. Is he enjoying himself? And what's funny, I can see some of you looking like that when I say, turn to the next person, oh no. Because it's artificial. 
It's not real, is it? It's a how you doing when perhaps inside they're socially decomposing and are desperate for relationships, like Eric at his desk. So what's the answer? Next slide. Who's this? Young man there on the left. Well done. <laughs> Round of applause, please, for... Because I put slides like this up to feel superior, because nobody... <laughs> so, that's a bit disappointing. <laughs> Do you come here often? There's <laughs> a great church down the hill. <laughs> it's another shopping hour. And uh, Arthur said this, relationships, forget about them. Just forget about relationships. They're too difficult. And he said, what it's like, if you can imagine, everything's, it's a cold night, and we're like hedgehogs. We're desperate for warmth and social interaction. Come up here a second, Richard. You can be a hedgehog. Come on. Bless him. So we're like hedgehogs, full of spines and prickles. And the closer we try to get, the more we jab each other with self-interest, a bit of pride, a bit of self-absorption, a bit of exploitation. We start to jab each other with the prickles, but we're desperate for a relationship. And he said, the only thing we really can do is because we're hedgehogs, is to separate, go off into the cold, and die alone in the night. He actually said that. He didn't get invited to many parties, did Arthur? <laughs> go sit down. You, 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 thanks for being a fantastic hedgehog. <laughs> your, your time. So what does God say? Does God agree with Arthur? Does God say, yeah, actually, we're pretty, we're pretty thorny, aren't we? Best thing, just separate. Do your own thing. Focus on your own thing. What does God say? Next slide. Does anybody know what this is? <laughs> the guy on the right is my uncle, my uncle Carl. And he was a typical valley boy, didn't get any qualifications at school, hitchhiked up to Blackpool and started a band. And they got signed by Columbia Records. And he started a new genre, I think, something called psychedelic funk or freak beat. It's highly collectible because nobody actually likes the music. So, <laughs> you know, only a couple of... Uh... But I used to love visiting my Uncle Carl. Absolutely love. We'd turn up at the house and there he'd be, long hair, cap, smoking a really big, long cigarette. Coming in, coming in. And you could tell he'd been waiting for you, looking out the window with his little beady eyes. Ooh. And you'd come in, and you knew as soon as you went into my Uncle Carl's house, he wanted to make you happy. He just wanted to bless you. He wanted to make you feel special. So I don't know if you've heard of these things up north. We'd have fantastic food. Has anybody heard of profiteroles? They're the things that posh people eat. Miracles, aren't they? Little shoe pastry filled with cream. They'd be profiteroles. The finest food. They'd be fine wine and beer and whiskey. And because he was a musician, there were rows and rows and rows of cocaine. Just <laughs> Please don't complain about that. That was frivolous. And he was, a, he was a conversational genius. He could talk about anything. All the bands... You knew Bruce Dickinson from Black Sabbath. They used to go sword fencing together. He could talk about politics. He was now a businessman. He would talk about sports cars because he had about 12 Ferraris and he'd get me to go and sit in one. It was a wonderful time. And his house itself, it was filled with guitars, original Telecasters, 
and ostrich eggs and wallpaper you know, made of velvet and stuff. Just visiting my Uncle Carl was fantastic. And I used to leave his house genuinely with a glow on my face and a glow in my tummy, just desperate to get back because I knew he really wanted to bless us when we were there. The issue with Carl is he was an introvert, so it took so much out of him, it'd be about five years before he'd be invited around again. <laughs> but once every five years, my Uncle Carl's house, it was a real treat. And God is saying this, he's not building a house out of bricks and mortar. He's building a house out of you and me. And he wants this house to be such a special house that when anybody comes into this house, they get treated far better than that. Their life can be transformed. Their life can be turned around. They can be blessed. And not only that, but this house, a house of people, can be a blessing to the whole world. So he's knitting us together. Next, let's have a look at the scripture verse. It says in Peter, come to Jesus, our living stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The answer, an answer, the answer to broken relationships is coming to Christ and being knit together into a community where everybody loves one another. That's what it is. So what do you think it means to be aligned to Christ, the cornerstone? Shout them things out. First, come to Jesus, our cornerstone. What do we think that means? We're aligned with the desire of God. Next slide. The desire of God. Next slide. This is a cornerstone. And in the ancient world, the first thing they would put in, in building anything, was a big, full-on cornerstone. And Rob is right, it would set the direction for the entire building. Everything needed to be aligned up to this. And they said that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. So for us to become a house, to be together in such a way that people can flourish and find life, we need to be aligned with Christ and with his characteristics. So what are his characteristics? Forgiveness, love, acceptance, joy, nice, mercy, compassion, pardon, hope. The only way we can become a people is if we align ourselves with the very characteristics of Christ ourselves in everything we try to do with one another. The one way I like to define love is this, and it was great if you were at the theology night on Sunday, God create the world, the earth, and he said to us, we had two things to, to do, well, it was five actually, but two things, to protect and to serve. And I believe love, the root of love, is to come alongside somebody with an instinct to protect and to serve so that we can nourish, release every single God-given potential so everybody can flourish and find life. So to align ourselves to Christ and to people when we're together we can flourish, I think our heart's desire has to look at somebody and say, I want to protect you. I want to serve you. I want to do something that can release your God-given potential so that not only can you flourish, but everything you touch can likewise flourish. Can you imagine that picture? Where the impulse is not one of, what can you do for me? Or, 
what would you like to buy from me? But the impulse is to protect, nurture, and serve so everything can be unfolded, so we can flourish and find life. And God says this house is to be a spiritual house. Do we know what that means? Let me give you an analogy. I worked in a house looking after lots of rough lads, and it was my birthday. And one of the lads came up and he said, his name was Bill, he said, I want to do you a birthday celebration. I said, great, thanks, Bill. So he decided to learn how to bake a cake. And he hated every second of it because he couldn't bake one. When he brought it out, it looked like a cow pat with a candle in it. And it tasted worse than a cow pat. But he was struggling so much, he got so frustrated that when he came in for my birthday, he said, here we are, here's your cake. And so I tortured him with thumb screws to make me a cake. And they got everybody in. It's Taffy's birthday, get in here. Sing happy birthday, now. And he forced everybody to sing happy birthday. And the, the guys were singing happy birthday like this. Happy birthday. It was the worst birthday I'd ever had. Contrast that then with my 40th birthday that my sweet wife, Heather, put on for me. She brought this beautiful cake in. She put it down in front of me. She cut it. and She started to gently spoon it into my mouth. She she didn't do that. That would be weird. (laughs) But it felt like it. It felt like it. All my friends were around, and then they sang happy birthday. And Heather sang happy birthday to me. Have you heard Marilyn Monroe sing happy birthday? Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Happy birthday, Mr. President. (laughs) Which somehow made me feel I was going to get more than cake. Sixth sense. This is really important now. That was a frippery to try and keep your attention. This is really important. They were exactly the same things. The one was in a house, the one had a cake, the one had happy birthday. One of them was completely and utterly and totally different. The one made me feel terrible, the other one just made me feel like a million dollars because it was filled with the spiritual qualities of Christ himself. He had love, he had joy, he had peace, he had patience, he had kindness, he had goodness, he had gentleness, he had self-control. So for us, to become a spiritual house. We need to do things like birthday parties, but we need to fill them with the very impulse and characteristic of Christ. We need to be filled with love. We need to be filled with joy. We need to be filled with peace. All the things that make these little moments special, that's what we become when we align ourselves to Christ. And when we do that, Christ says two things will happen. We'll become a, can we remember? A royal priesthood and a holy nation. So what do we think it means to become a royal priesthood? Thank you very much. (laughs) I thought it was a statement. Know your status. Let 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 me express it like this. One image I have of royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, we were all called to be a royal priesthood. But some of the children of Israel said, no, no, we don't want to go up near God. We're scared of him. So there was a blockage. We don't want to go. We're scared up on that mountain. It's a dreadful thing. You go up for us. They created a priesthood. And the whole idea was the priesthood would then mediate God's presence to others. They would mediate God's presence to others and work for forgiveness 
and cleansing and healing. So when we align ourselves to Christ and our impulse is to protect, nurture, release and unfold, and we're filled with the characteristics of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, we then start to what? Mediate God's presence to one another. Do we get that image? It's really important. It's only when we have those characteristics aligned to Christ and filled with his spirit can we then start to mediate his presence one to another. It's a deeply powerful image. And then when we do that, we'll then become a holy nation. And what do we think that means? I get the image from his... You preached well on this, Josie, about holiness. I remember it. Stealing a little bit of it now. I'm going to credit you. Ezekiel 47 is a prophecy about the temple. Now, in the temple, it was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was God's presence. And the image was this. All of a sudden, they started to notice water flooding out of the temple from the Holy of Holies. And this water built up. And it, Can we have the next slide? It rushed down the steps of the temple and out into where the desert and down into the Dead Sea. And the holy presence of God went and cleansed and brought life everywhere. Wherever this stream touched, new life sprang up, foliage. It even went into the Dead Sea. Taste the Dead Sea, you get sick. Nothing could live in there. And all of a sudden, the holy presence of God came out, went into the Dead Sea. And what happened to the Dead Sea? It literally bubbled and burst with life. So the idea is when we align ourselves to Christ and we are knit together, with a desire to protect and nurture and unfold. And we start to be filled with his characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, and kind. We start to mediate his presence one to another so that we can then go out into the world and bring life everywhere. And the only way we can do that is by being some way together. Somehow being joined to Christ and one to another so that we can become that life-changing force on the earth. So my call for us, is that the sort of life we want to live? Is there anything left in the tank where we feel, yes, God, I'm gonna, I want to pour myself into that kind of thing, where I become more like you, and I can serve and protect and nurture so that we can all... Now, I know for me, sometimes when my tanks are empty, a demand and insistence to give more, to pour myself out more, makes me feel I'm going to head into... Next slide oblivion because very often I'm exhausted I'm a natural introvert I'd like to live on a planet somewhere so a message about pouring yourself in sometimes do you know what I've got on my plate have you seen my calendar but that's God's exhortation to us and the reason I put oblivion is because has anybody been to Alton Towers no I'm scared of heights okay I nearly fell off a roof. The only thing that saved me was Victorian guttering. So I've not liked heights ever since. There's a ride which somebody said, you must go on oblivion. So I went on oblivion and this little thing took me to the edge of this, like the biggest drop in the universe and just tilts you over. So you're staring into the abyss. And I felt as though my tummy was coming out of my navel. Oblivion. And then it releases you and it lets you go. And everyone is screaming. Literally everyone is screaming. Then a matter of seconds later, everybody starts to enjoy it. <laughs> and they're putting their hands in the air. Whoa, this is amazing. I can't believe it. We're flying. And you can't wait to get to the bottom and start it all again. 
And this is my challenge, and this is to think, guys, the community that God calls us to be will be the most wonderful thing we could ever be part of. Be the most exhilarating, wonderful thing we can ever be part of. So somehow, what we need to do in our culture, where we're time poor, time busy, we feel tired, we feel fatigued, we need to learn and take some steps so that we can all come together and be that holy house that God calls us to be so that we can flourish and find life and then go out into the world and bring the water of life as rivers of water coming out of our bellies. So that's just my encouragement for us today. Can we do that? Can we start the journey of becoming a community where God's presence is here, where we can change? Arthur Schopenhauer, in some ways, he was right. We are prickly and thorny. But in one massive way, he was completely, utterly, totally wrong. In that through the cross of Jesus Christ, he can come in and he can start to take our prickles away so that we can come together and love one another and be together in such a way that creates life and life its all its fullness. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your life-giving spirit. We thank you for the life of Jesus which can flood into every person. And we pray that you will come and so fill us with who you are. We'll be so aligned with you. Our every impulse will be to love and protect and nurture. We pray that this, our community, will be filled with every single fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we pray, Father, through that we can start to mediate your goodness and your presence one to another. So that we can be healed, we can be restored, and we can be brought together. And then we pray, Father, that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, will flood out of us and bring new life everywhere, everywhere. Father, our world needs it. Churches need it. And we just pray that you will stir in our hearts so that we can do something to connect more deeply. Amen. Before I finish, I think it's important to say we don't have to start big. We don't have to start big. So you remember the calendar? I've been convicted about this, so I changed my calendar. I used to have work, personal, and home, three categories. I think I've now got about eight or nine. One of them is Heather. I want to spend more time with Heather to protect, nurture, and fall. And how can I serve my wife? I've got another one, which is Oshie and Fionn, my kids. So now, now I'm going to make time to sow into my wife and kids. Can, how can I serve them so they can... Then I've got friends. So I've started to put in time, how can I start to serve my friends? What can I do to sow into their lives? So I've turned a diary, not into a foe, but into a spiritual friend. And I look, and I, and I hope, can I move in that direction? And what gives me real hope is I was in a... Um, a seminar in Cardiff and I was chatting after some guys and they told me a story about two men in Swansea. Now, one of the men completely, completely felt alone in his church. 
So he met up with his mate and he said, look, shall we just go down the pub once a month, just meet up and start a talk about not just, not just the rugby, but stuff, that really important faith stuff in our lives. So they started to do that. And it became a very, very, very dear moment. So they said, why don't we start to meet every week? They started to meet every week. Then they said, shall we invite Billy? From so they invited Billy. Shall we invite? And they started to invite. All of a sudden, there's about four or five guys meeting with the express purpose of talking about real stuff. And then all of a sudden, there was three lawyers at the bar. And they overheard these guys talking about voting and how they can bring their faith into it. And they came over and said, that's really fascinating. What we Do you mind if we join you? Yeah, come so they started to join. And all of a sudden... This momentum started to grow where people said, oh, there's a place you can go down the local pub and you can actually start to talk about some stuff. And it's really interesting. And there's some Christian guys there. And over a period of a number of years, I think there's about 30 or 40 people meeting, Christian non-Christian, once a month to talk about some real, real stuff. And it started with somebody making a commitment for once a month. Shall we just meet up, find out what we're doing and have a little chat so that we don't spiritually and socially decompose in plain sight. And I think, Matt, you've got some ideas to share as well. I think it's always good when we've uh, heard something to kind of try and stop and think, right, what's our one takeaway from that? Yeah, what's one thing that we might 